0: Hi, hello, yes, greetings. You're locked into another episode of Meg Talks, the people's platform home to queer POC millennial conversation. Welcome if you're locked in for the first time and big up yourself if you're back for another episode. I appreciate the support every single time. You can listen to every single episode on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify and Anchor as well. Anyways, for this week, I am here with a genuine ally of the POC community. This is an individual that is a part of an organisation, part of a team that's a London-based collective that supports queer women and gender non-conforming queer folks. They're into creating spaces, creating, uh, creating communities, creating workshops, creating all kinds of things to bring people together so we can have fun. So, guys. Let's get it cracking. Let's welcome Jess into the building.
1: Hi Meg, thanks for having me. Happy
0: to be here. Yay. This is, this one, I always say this has been long in the pipeline, but this one actually hasn't. This was quite a recent connection. I usually have, friends or people that I've known or worked with for a super long time so I'm sitting with a new face this is a whole new experience we're going to learn about some new things as well so first and foremost man how you been?
1: I've been really well thank you.
0: Yeah do you know what we had a really interesting conversation on the way to the studio and I realized I don't really know too many queer married couples you know and I'm just putting it out there because I only realized that just now so if you're married and you're part of the community flag me up on Instagram and let me know that you're there, yeah, because I'm here, as you guys know, I'm 33 years old, yeah. A lot of people are looking at me, talking to me about marriage and all these things. I don't know shit about it, man. So, let me see. Let me see the community who's married out here. But anyway, let's get into the game, right? Most people, as I say, guys, nobody knows what questions are going to be So I can see the is sitting here looking at me like, what the hell is going on? So... First and foremost, actually, for people that might not know what the game is, let me give you a quick rundown. So I'm going to ask the guests questions quick and fast. They've got to answer as quick and honest as possible. You ready? I'm ready. Do, 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 do. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. So first and foremost, what are your preferred pronouns? She, they. She, they. What ends are you from?
1: I currently live in Brixton, mm-hmm. but I'm actually from near Windsor.
0: Where Where is Windsor? So Berkshire. So. Is that something to do with like the Queen and those folks?
1: Yeah, it's 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 near Windsor Castle. So. Ah, right, 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 right.
0: <laughs> do you know? My, I'm going off piece here, as I do, but what the hell is Windsor Castle? I've heard about this place, but I don't know what it is.
1: I mean, no relation to the Queen myself. I'm not 100 sure, but mm-hmm. there's a massive castle in Windsor. I know that they do uh, like tours there, and I think the Queen spends some time there. I think they oh, fly right. a flag when she's there. I'm okay. sure. Okay,
0: <laughs> all right. Fair play. It
1: looks nice. I know that. So, what is your heritage? Uh, so my mum is British so from Windsor Um, my dad is Italian so I'm half English half Italian my dad lives on Lake Como in Italy so I get to spend quite a lot of time out there which is great although I haven't been there for a couple of years because of Covid so. Can you speak Italian? I well I can I'm very rusty Mm. I'm very rusty so don't test me. (laughs) So like how does
0: and this could be like a quick answer because we're going to go into it deeper but does being queer and being part Italian and part English, is, is that a cohesive mix or does it not go work so well?
1: That's a really good question, especially because where my dad is from, where my family is from, is a really small town. Mm-hmm. So um, sort of farming village, so very rural. Um, I'm fortunate that my family are very open and very supportive. And actually it was my dad, was, my dad was instrumental in me coming out from quite, quite a young age. Um, so I am very lucky, but I know that a lot of people don't have that experience and, right. and find it quite difficult. Okay. so what then one thing
0: that you love about being a queer woman?
1: I love the freedom that being queer generally brings you. I think I I came out quite young, then kind of got pushed back into the closet because of of societal expectations, etc. And then didn't properly come back out until I was in my late 20s. And I think just breaking free of that kind of expectation of society and reassessing what I actually want in life and being able to start from the bottom up. It's so liberating and so exciting and it's changed my life.
0: And what what one thing would you say that you don't like so much about being a queer woman?
1: Oh, it's just, like, I find it really exhausting when you're out and about with queer friends and just the looks, the stares, the kind of, you know, just the, the, the kind of misinformation that gets spread around and right. that's, that's stressful and exhausting. Yeah, and do you know what, like... In my,
0: because in my mind, I think you're straight passing. Like, I could walk past you and be... like, I don't even really have a gay gaydar at this point, believe me. <laughs> um, but that must feel... That must put you in quite an interesting space whereby you will get dealt with in one particular way, but your partner or your friends or your community get treated quite differently. Like, How does that feel?
1: A million percent. And I think it's really interesting because I get treated very differently when I'm with my friends or my wife mm. comparatively to when I'm on my own. And that's super oh, yeah. interesting. And I think it really shows the different challenges that different kind of presentations of people have. You know, part of the reason why I struggled to come out um, was because I'm very sort of straight passing and feminine presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, there's challenges on both sides. And it's a really interesting um, thing to, to delve into. Mm. So
0: The question gonna change up slightly. Well, to be fair, my questions are always quite right <laughs> here. <laughs> um, name three of your favorite hangout spots.
1: Oh, interesting, okay. Uh, I have to say she because sure. She-Bar um, was the first kind of queer space that I ever entered into, and so it holds really fond memories. Um, another one would be not so much a space as such, but um, like a night, which has become a community which is Les Events. So mm-hmm. my best friend runs Les Events, and it is such an incredible space. Um, they've actually recently changed the logo of their... Um, like name from Les to Les with an X to kind of be inclusive of of trans and and gender non-conforming people as well. And I think that's absolutely beautiful. Um, And number three, what would I say? Oh, gosh, it's, you know, it's been so long since we've been able to go out and have spaces. Oh, again, a night pussy liquor. I'm a big fan (laughs) of pussy liquor. (laughs) It's a cabaret <laughs> show and it is incredible. Oh my gosh! If you haven't seen it, haven't, check them out again. It's it. Pussy with an X. Right. Liquor spelt like the alcohol, you know, L-I-Q-U. Yeah. Um, if like you haven't drink. seen them, like the drink, yeah, exactly. Right. Check them out. That they is are, fucking clever. In my opinion, the best cabaret in town. Um, incredible.
0: So, so you're free with your friend who runs liquor fans, no, Led Led events. No, leather events. leather events. Tell them to shop me, man. We can mm. tell them to come on the pod. I'm oh, always I,
1: I'm sure she'd love to. She's a very inspirational woman. Because when it comes to the topic of
0: events, whether it be partying or social spaces, that like I have got my own opinions on where we're at as a society. Mm. If I speak more from my experience in London and, you know, where I think we where I would love to see us get to as a city in terms of it. But
1: I'll get there. But I'll get there.
0: <laughs> um So, name one of your most embarrassing adult moments.
1: Oh, gosh. My most embarrassing adult moment. It's probably actually since the lockdown, like, from memory, since the lockdown, like, the Zooms. Yeah. Because I have a massive habit of, like, forget... I'm I'm terrible with memory. I forget whether I've, like, muted myself or... So, I have, on occasion, like, been on a client meeting at work, forgetting that I'm, like, not dressed from the waist down. Like, you know... (laughs) And had to, like, stand up and be like, oh, I'm just going to go and get myself, a, you know, a bottle of water and, like, been walking around. And that's, yeah, that's been horrific. We like, fluffy pyjamas? Slippers, underwear. <laughs> I, honestly, um, I just, my memory, my most embarrassing moments are nearly always because I'm, my memory, or because I'm, like, tripping over because I'm very clumsy.
0: <laughs> this remind, that reminds me of, um, I think it was a meme, a meme or a gif yeah, of, like, this black girl and she had, like... <laughs> And she had a bottle of Magnum, which is um, a Caribbean tonic wine for anyone that doesn't know. And she was like taking out of her taking out her braids and she was on mute and the camera was off. And it must have been a video. And the, and her manager was like, oh, by the way, so-and-so. And asked her a question. It's like, can you put your camera on? And like, she's half undoing her hair. That like, It was fucking joke. Um, yeah, Zoom
1: is a bit of a difficult one because you, you forget that there's people watching you sometimes. I, I forget that I have my camera on right. and I'm just there chilling and I completely forget there's people watching me.
0: I, I do you know what you see? If I don't want to have the camera on, I'm not having my camera on. I'm very strict with, I'm doing what I want to do, and if I feel like, sometimes I I would turn up to like big corporate meetings in mm. like a tracksuit, or like a hoodie, or like I said, I'll have my do rag on with the flap down. Like I'm legit just showing mm-hmm. up how I want to with things. I feel like there's a whole etiquette.
1: Yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. I had a conversation with a friend about that recently. I think this idea that anyone. Has the right into someone else's personal space. You don't know what people, you know, people's living situations, what their home life, mm. the idea that anyone has a right to see into your space, mm. I think is, is terrible. Like, if you don't want to have your camera on, don't have your camera on. I'm a big believer in that.
0: You hear that, people? Don't get bullied into the social system. Mm-hmm. Lock off the camera if you're not yeah. on it and tell your boss, I saw it go. What would you say one of your biggest lockdown um, guilty pleasures
1: were? Biggest lockdown? Well, actually, I, (laughs) I I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure, but I got really into yoga. Like, Mm. I got, like, I got furloughed, so I was having to, and we couldn't go anywhere, could we? Mm. So I was really, I mean, I did the banana bread thing, I did the baking thing. Right. But I got really into yoga, Mm -hmm. and I was doing it again, just there in my living room, forgetting that I live on a main road again, and people can see, and I'm just there in my pants doing my (laughs) yoga every morning. (laughs) Um, so yeah, that was my favourite pastime in lockdown and pleasure. I'm trying to think of what my guilty pleasures
0: were. I think at large it would have just had to have been YouTube. Oh, I have indulged like you haven't believed. I've got into so many different channels. Like I l- fuck terrestrial TV at this point. Like I am so I can't tell you the last time I've watched terrestrial TV in my own house. Mm-hmm. Actually. It's probably like two years because I don't even have... um, It's not... My TV isn't connected to an aerial. So I told the TV licensed people that I'm not paying and do not contact me because I do not watch your channels. They're crap. But I think that would probably be that. Or um, Lotus Biscoff. Oh, my God. They've got this spread.
1: I've seen it. It's so good.
0: Jesus. (laughs) I put it on cream crackers. Oh,
1: my Krispy Kreme also do a donut. I can't...
0: I can't, I can't, I can't try that because if I try it and like it, I'm finished. It's over. You see, as you know me now, I won't look like this again. Okay, we've got a couple of last questions. Um, if you could live anywhere mm-hmm. in the world, anywhere, what country or location would you pick?
1: Well, interestingly, we are trying, well, the goal is to relocate to, eventually to the Gold Coast in Australia, which is where my wife, she's not from there, but she spent a lot of time there. She spent 12 years, I think, during her life there. So she's really keen to get back there. I need a beach life. I need to live by a beach. That's mm-hmm. that's really my only specification. It needs to be sunny and there needs to be a beach.
0: Right. I recently have been having this conversation with... My babes about... Because they're not even in the country and they're not going to be back in the country till, I don't know, the end of the year. And it's like, where they're at in terms of climate, in terms of tropics, I mean, like the beautiful Caribbean. Mm. I'm like, I've never been sold on the UK. I feel like we're sold an absolute dream. I'm like, this place is bad vibes and the weather Mm -hmm. is shit. Like, there is so much more to this world and there's so so much that other countries have to offer. So I'm still trying to figure out where
1: I might like to be yeah I feel like the world's a really big place Huge. And I think yeah I think humans are really adaptable and I think we can really make beautiful lives somewhere as long as the conditions are right for you like for me like I said I like sunshine mm. um but yeah I do I, I I realized I was walking around Battersea one day with my wife Jay and it was that thing of like it wasn't a very nice day, and there was this beautiful pier, and I was like, next time we have a sunny day, we're coming down here. And I was like, why am I living my life according to when the next sunny day is? I just need to be somewhere where it's always a sunny day.
0: <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, it does the weather very. If if you're not into the cold or mm. the wet or the overcast like me, you are. Your life is governed by, yeah. um, is one hundred percent governed by the weather, mm-hmm. which is kind of shitty, right? So. Food-wise, if you had to pick surf and turf or a tempura vegetarian platter, what would you pick?
1: Oh, no, that's so hard. I want them both. I did it on purpose. Oh, (laughs) okay. Can I have the surf and not the turf and then the tempura platter? Like the seafood and the vegetables.
0: Just because you asked so politely, I'm going to let it slide. I'm going to let this There's going to be, the previous guests are going to be outraged. I'm like, no, Megan, (laughs) you made me pick. That's fine. (laughs) That's absolutely fine. What's your favorite type of music to get ready to when you're going out?
1: I am shamelessly into my diva music, so anything Beyonce, Ariana Grande, or the Britneys, obviously the, the Britney bitch. I mean, that's it. Any kind of Britney will get me in the mood always, any time of day.
0: Okay, so we're so we're talking about the deep. So who who do you classify as the divas? So we got we're, we've, Beyonce, that's definite. You got like you said, Ariana Grande. Shit, my mind's gone black and I'm like the musical oracle. <laughs> who, who else you call Got Christina. Aguilera. Mm-hmm. I'm a genie in a bottle. Absolutely. You gotta rub <laughs> me the right way.
1: <laughs> what a classic. What a classic.
0: Yeah. Well, that is it for the question round. <laughs> I, I, I had a lot of fun. To be fair, I love the question round because I, might, I often know the guest in one very specific mm-hmm. context. It'll be one thing that I saw... Or one thing that I really really enjoyed or liked and that's as much as I know about them, besides that like, the bit of research that you do So for me, guys just like you I'm learning all about the guests so <laughs> we're gonna go on to um, normally actually I would do something something of the nature of what's new in the what's new in, what's been new this week so what's been happening in social media, what's been happening in the news and to be fair, since I came back from Jamaica in June, I've just not been plugged, really plugged in. Even my, I'm sorry, my so, sorry, Instagram people. I know I've been so rubbish on Instagram, but I've just been find it really draining, really, really draining. So whilst I'm in this space, what I'm going to do is just open it up to what's been lit this week. Um, and there's been two things that have come across, come onto my radar that I thought are, uh, I guess, conversation worthy. So firstly, I want to big up Glass House London na, 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 people. I had a fantastic conversation with Aisha um sometime this week, and she put me onto a new bookshop hanging space in Brick Lane called The Glass House. And this is, that's called. it, it's like a triple threat here. And I'm going to read from my notes to make sure I get this exactly right. So... They have the first space is the Common Press, which is a bookshop slash cafe. The second element is the Commons, which is a multimedia event space. So, um, lots of different stuff. So, if you want to do podcasting, if you wanted to do something where you could broadcast, if you wanted to have an event space, you can do that also. And then that it's yet to come, but it's in the pipeline. They've got a restaurant and a bar. And I'm like, good, good, Brick Lane. I nearly died of excitement when I heard about that. And the thing that makes this even more special, to me anyway, is that this was designed by LGBT plus people of color with us in mind, with us in mind. I'm like, I I was so excited and I was talking to my mum about it and I was like, shit. That's how starved we are of resources and space. that We get one bookshop and it's got, like I think, over 150 books um, which boast about the black experience. And, for example, I've seen that they've got, like, the Rachel Ammer book. And anyone that knows Rachel Ammer, she's a vegan chef, um, pulling together some really cool Caribbean meals and stuff. But anyway, I just wanted to plug that because it's been open for... So if it's four weeks, so that would have, it opened in August 2021. So guys, get down, get down there. Like, I don't want to hear no complaint about. We haven't got anything. You better get down there and support them, man. Like it looks incredible. I'm gonna be heading down to the spot, um, the end of September with Aisha to go and do a full on tour. Then we're gonna head over to the studio right here and we're gonna lay down some content. So big up Glass House. Definitely go down and check it out for all my people of color. You, man, better get down there and support this thing. That's all I'm saying. And hopefully, I see some of you like down there as well, man. So don't be shy. Come and say hello. Um, and the other thing that I saw... I wouldn't say it's this week, yeah, but I'm talking about it this week because it's starting to get on my nerves. Well, so, Chikari Richardson. People keep coming and talking to me about this. And they've got... And I've noticed on different platforms as well that like this has been a bubbling conversation. So I've held back a little bit. Just to see how it patterns out, because we all know that I love a bit of gandra. There is no secret about that. And she broke a world record. It got that the whole thing was a scandal because they found traces of um, some kind of cannabis in her system. Now, anyone that knows anything about weed, that does not make you faster. But <laughs> I just wanna say that. <laughs> I just wanna say that, right? So if she achieved that with that, listen, her world record, if she was just like clean and sober, would have been off the wall at this point. So I'm not even mad at it. I'm I'm not. And the Olympics, yeah, you have rules. She's gone through a lot with her mum just passing away. So I'm not saying they should bend the rules, but, or change the rules even, but from a very personal point of view, I understand. But what's been popping off within my community as well is that her throwing shots to the Jamaican community. And I'm a proud Jamaican, proud, proud Jamaican. Now, the three athletes who... Just came unpolished off. I don't know why we're worrying. Like, pe- athletes chat shit all the time. That is the competitive nat- nature of sport. Like, to-, to succeed in sport, you have to be competitive, right? And we're getting onto this person for showing that competitive nature. Yeah, it's not particularly tasteful and it's a bit rude, but that's what creates a winner. Really, someone that really has got that drive. And secondly, people, can we allow her? Can we just allow her mom died? I tell you this, God forbid, while I, yeah. If anything happened to my mom, I'm moving mad. I'm moving mad and I don't want no one to tell me anything or to judge me in my moment of sorrow. So people, let's just humanise this fantastic, talented, beautiful black woman. Let's humanise her and recognise this is someone that's struggling, they're going through some shit, and I'm not going to be a person to be sitting here tearing down a black woman. So that's all I have to say on the matter. But have you heard all this been happening with Shikari?
1: I have. I've heard a bit of it on Twitter. I mean, I, a little bit like you, have been trying to stay off Twitter a bit and things like that at the moment because everything is quite draining, but I have. And, Mm. yeah, I completely echo what you just said about just humanising people. Like, we all, we're all human and we all have good days and bad days. And I also, what also grates me is that I think if she was a cis man, people would have a lot more, Mm. give her a lot more leeway. Like, to be, you know, that kind of competitive spirit you're talking about is that if she was a cis man... I don't think people would be as quick to judge. And mm. that really irks me as well.
0: Yes. Yes. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about it like that. But it's true because like that kind of direct quote-unquote, I'm not even gonna use that word. Um, that's just say that barefaced behavior, that in your face, direct behaviour, mm. it is considered to be quite masculine mm-hmm. in that respect. And when you think about football. If I think about um, the, I'm like, I'm not really, I used to be into football a lot, but not so much now. So, you know, we, I think it was like the European football tournament quite recently, right? Where it all kicked off with the three black players getting the whole bag of foolishness, right? Mm. Now, there was someone on that pitch. I saw my man getting draped up by, his, by the collar of his T-shirt, fully getting dragged up, chasing the ball. And I'm like, but that's okay. But a woman chatting some shit isn't.
1: I, I mean, I, again, I'm Italian, right? So that no. was, it was Italian team, and you know, I was, I'm a proud Italian as mm. well as a proud British person. And I, again, I, you know, I watched that, and I was like, I was proud of Italy for winning, but that made me so mad because exactly mm. that there was just no, no one talked about it, no one mentioned it. It was just, it's
0: a bit, a of, bit, of, bit of boisterousness. Yeah, yeah,
1: boys will be boys, you right, know.
0: Right, right. No. So it just kind of, I just wanted to bring that up to highlight first and foremost what my opinion is on that. And also, again, I think what you've done there is beautiful being able to show that juxtaposition between these double standards, you know. Yeah, allow it, people. Allow her. But let's get on to the topic of the conversation of today. So for me, this is very, very exciting because my whole social experience of the LGBT plus scene has been... It's been a real uphill struggle. Being able to find spaces where I feel comfortable and going into Black um, LGBT plus spaces isn't enough for me to feel comfortable within that. Like I can't be lumped in a room with people because we have the same culture and the same preferences or similar preferences that ultimately I'm going to feel comfortable or get along with these people. Mm-hmm. So I've always found it found it quite hard to find, find that space. And I found um, a couple of good events that were actually just heterosexual or um, inclusive spaces. But specifically that I found it quite difficult. So I was really inspired by the objective of what you're trying to achieve by your organisation because I think it's needed. Even people like me need it, you know. So I'm really excited to kind of just get into the topic to better understand where this all came from, what you guys have been up to, and and what's next? So the first question I want to kick off with is, how would you describe your experience as a queer woman in the UK at large?
1: Good question, big question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used to live not in London, so I used to live in um, near Windsor, um, and again found it very difficult to come out because again in a similar vein to what we were talking before, society kind of demands femininity of of people like us and I think that was very difficult um it makes it very difficult to experiment with who you are to work out who you are if you're kind of if if the scope within which you're given to experiment as a teenager is quite small because you're demand you know that people are demanding expecting certain things of you and certain presentations of you right. and I found that really difficult which is why I found it difficult to find my queer identity I mean mm-hmm. um and I found it really difficult because then once I came out as queer the the kind of community in a small smaller town or outside London is very very small at least in my experience it was very very small um so trying to find and and like exactly like you just said like then you're kind of forced into a very small bubble of people who you may or may not have common interest in you may not have anything in common with you may not get on with whatever so within my community where I lived the, the queer community around me was very much football lesbians which is Wow. Awesome, but it's not me. I don't play football. I've never played football. Mm. Don't know how to, don't know how to kind of be in that world really. Um, but that was all I had in terms of queer spaces. So when I moved to London, it was a real eye opener. And I think that was kind of where the Queer Culture Club idea was born because I came to London and suddenly there were all these people of all different, you know, everyone looked different, sounded different, yeah. had different experiences, different interests, different worlds, different lives. Um, and it was that idea of like creating something where people can bring those interests and those parts of them to a collective Mm -hmm. and find other people who you don't just get lumped together with because you're queer or because Mm -hmm. you come from a certain place or come from a certain background but because you have a shared interest but also you have a shared experience within that intersectionality you know Mm -hmm. so that was kind of where that came from Mm -hmm. the idea that yeah I don't want to just be put in a room full of people because we're all queer and then that's that's it. That's yeah. that, you know. That's the surface level idea. It's like, actually, well, I'm queer and I'm really into literature, so I'm going to join a queer book club or mm. I'm queer and I really love art, so I'm going to join a queer art group or whatever it is, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I love that. And I actually want to go back to a particular point that you mm-hmm. just said that I, I've, I've got to get into this. So when you came to London mm-hmm. and I can imagine it was like, the lights came on. <laughs> Very much so. The lights came on. It's like, wow, I can see everything around me and I can see things that, maybe fitting for me, or things that I'm curious about. How did that feel, that moment when you realised what London had to offer?
1: It was honestly like the world opened up. It was suddenly that my very narrow experience of not only being queer, but also being myself, Mm. which I thought was that was the world that was open to me, suddenly just... I mean, I now I went from being I was a teacher in my what I now call my past life because it feels like that. Mm. I was a teacher, which I loved. Don't get me wrong. But I was a teacher. I lived, you know, on my own with my cats. And that was kind of my life and my world. Um, And then suddenly, if you had told me that two years later, I would be married, I would be running queer spaces. I would be hosting a queer comedy event on a regular basis with someone like. I would have, like, that, that would have laughed because that just wasn't anything in, that was on my roadmap. And suddenly, I, every day I'm meeting people who inspire me, who give me new ideas, who give me, you know, new opportunities, new connections, new, new roads to follow, you know, mm-hmm. new leads to follow. And it's just, it's so exciting. You just, I never know now where life's going to take me from one week to the next. And that, yeah, it's so exciting.
0: It's, it's lovely to hear how... It's lovely to hear the differences and the fact that you were able to find something for you in London, because my parents were born in London, I was born in London and raised in London, and I've never lived in any other city. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's all I know. So to hear what other people's experiences have been outside of London and then coming into this space, I think it takes the blinkers off. For me also, and to not take it for granted so much, and even though it may not necessarily offer me that, but actually, it's offering so many people an experience outside of a reality they've been raised into or raised around. Mm, mm. So, when it comes... I, I'm Was there a catalyst moment or a defining moment which triggered the idea... Well, not even triggered the idea, but triggered the motivation for you to start Queer Culture Club?
1: Um, I guess, to be honest, it was mostly... lockdown because it was an idea that had been bubbling for a while Um, I'd been in London for about a year um, had met a few people through like you know nightlife and things like that which I love and I'm not I'm not um, you know dissing that at all I loved it and you know I I love going to club nights I love going to queer events I love going to that sort of thing Um, but it's when you're new it can be quite difficult to make meaningful connections when everyone's out drinking and dancing and it's loud and it's hard to Mm -hmm. talk you know you meet your best friend in the smoking area but then in the morning, no one remembers who anyone. Do you know what I mean? It's hard yeah, to make meaningful yeah. connections that way sometimes. So it was, and I, you know, so I came. I was doing all that. It was great fun, but then it got to a point where I was like, I really want to make some like real connections with people now. Um, and but I just didn't really have the because you know work, and I didn't really have the time to dedicate to it. And then when the lockdown happened, and suddenly this need for connection became greater for everyone. Everyone needed to connect in a different way because we couldn't go out to nightclubs and events and things like that. Um, and sudden, and then I got furloughed, so I suddenly had the time. Um, so that's really where it was born, I guess. Mm,
0: I love that. I I think I might have shared this with you the first time that we had a conversation, but during lockdown, I found myself counting the number of masculine-presenting black people that I saw. And I, I remember getting up to six, and I think probably after six, I stopped counting. But I've, I've always felt quite far removed from the LGBTQ scene and community at large. I've had times when I've been fully immersed, doing the most, having the time of my life, but it's just something that, a place that I visited, it wasn't ever kind of, I felt immersed. Mm-hmm. But during lockdown, I did feel like, mm, I could do with something. There's a little something that I could do do with, considering I'm just not seeing people like me, um, even... I guess YouTube was a fantastic resource in terms of bringing bringing visibility to queer, black content or people of colour content. Um, But I felt, I definitely felt that need to connect. And this is where the podcast came from. This is a very similar story. This is where it came from. You know, I was aware of some statistics that were published in The Guardian, and they were talking about the number of people who are in homophobic environments or in toxic environments, which is just not helpful to their mental health mm-hmm. or their sense of joy. And that was, for me, the defining moment where I said, nah, no, 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 no. that's not OK for me at all. And how do I create um, some content that's discreet? Someone could just put their headphones in, plug in, and nobody else would know you know, but you're having a good time and you're hearing banter, and jokes and conversations which are relevant to you. So I, I I definitely share that sentiment that lockdown was quite an important time for connection. Mm-hmm. Like, were you able to, I guess, how how did you find connection and community during lockdown, if you were able to?
1: I, f- I mean, first of all, I was, I guess I was lucky because I was locked down in a situation where I was safe. You know, I wasn't in a, in a, an environment that was homophobic. I was with my wife, so I mm-hmm. wasn't on my own. So I I was very privileged in that sense. I can't really speak of, you know, for me, that kind of need for connection wasn't as great as it was for a lot of people. Um, and my issue is that I find screens quite difficult. So I I find talking over screens quite challenging. Mm-hmm. So that for me was a real challenge, especially being kind of behind it and, and trying to run events and facilitate events. I found that a real challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely really um i made a lot of really really strong connections you know a lot of my closest friends now i i met at the beginning of the lockdown and didn't actually meet in person for up to like six seven months until we were allowed to, to meet and have picnics in the park and things like that so mm-hmm. it definitely was a, a lifeline um for a lot of people I
0: think. Mm. so like for someone who doesn't know queer cultural club at all how would you describe and define it to someone that's a completely blank canvas
1: it is a collective of queer folk, um, queer women, trans folk and gender non-conforming folk. Um, it's for us, by us. And really, it's just a bunch of really talented queer people bringing a lot of incredible skills to the table. I mean, as I said, it started off with uh, me and a friend um really just wanting to run events and things like that and, and just get people in a room, be albeit virtually or, or whatever. Um, and it was really just supposed to be like a social space. And uh, and then suddenly I had so many people reaching out to me. I have this skill. I have that skill. I can do this. I can do this. Like, do not underestimate a bunch of queer folk in one
0: yeah.
1: space. Like, it's incredible. And so this kind of amazing, eclectic collective of skills and, and, and talents kind of formed. And now we've got so much going on. It's just a bunch of really talented people doing talented stuff, basically, mm. which is really gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, we were blown away by it. I, I think
0: queer folk are some of the most dynamic
1: mm-hmm.
0: and agile people you would ever meet. Like, God, are we adaptable? Mm-hmm. And I think because we're so adaptable, we're able to pick up, we, we pick skills up. We. How do I even articulate this now? I feel like as a community we have got a gift right and the gift starts from the fact that the external doesn't doesn't fit doesn't 100 percent fit and because it doesn't fit we have to really try and understand ourselves about who we are what we need why this doesn't fit and what should be the supplement so we know ourselves to a greater extent. It may not, I'm not saying that we won't have traumas and upsets and things like that, but we tend to know ourselves to a greater extent. And when you know yourself, you're able to identify your gifts and your skill sets a lot easier than if you don't. And I feel like there is some, just in that concept, like I really believe in that. And I was speaking with, I've had quite a few creatives on this podcast, whether it be DJs, dancers and so on. And I've always said, why is it that we're so creative? And it's about and it always comes back down to the inclusive nature of the mm-hmm. environment and stuff. So I throw it to you that why why do you think we are just we're so talented and we've got so these gifts so readily available to share and we're so willing to share?
1: I think part of it, I think I really resonate with what you just said about we know ourselves. And I think part of that I read somewhere about someone saying that for queer people, um, so much of adulthood or you know, formative years is about unpicking which parts of us we present or perform because society told us that we should and that we've kind of ingrained and during our our formative uh, formative years we've kind of ingrained that and and, um, embodied that and which parts are actually us Mm. and so because we have to do all that work unpicking we know ourselves really intimately inside and out right and Mm. I think exactly what you just said I think that's a big part of it. I also just think as you said, the inclusivity element is so huge. I mean, I just think we're trailblazers in terms of throwing the world open. Mm. We see the world in more shades of colour than anyone else because we're not blinkered by this societal expectation of what life should look like and what people should look like and how people should behave. And I just think that's... I went to the London Queer Fashion Show, um, well, the the lockdown version where we watched the Mm. photos. of, and There wasn't even anyone in the room. It was just pictures, you know, of of the event the previous year. And I literally burst into tears because it was just there were people, the representation there Mm -hmm. and this kind of like things that people couldn't even imagine outside of the queer community, I don't think. We're just, we're trailblazers. Mm -hmm. We look at that and it was just like this definition of beauty and beauty in the world gets thrown open and all of your pre-formed ideas just get shut down. And I think that's why queer queer people are so creative because we're just, the world's a blank canvas for us. And I love that.
0: Oh, that gave gave me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. That's that's deep that's really really deep especially the part where you said you know we see the world in so many other colors like it's bloody true Mm -hmm. and I I it just kind of sent me my mind spinning in the respect that what are my different skill sets my different strengths my different interests and so on and I'm like I wouldn't even be able to I don't think there's any consistency it's just things that I love and things that I enjoy. So people keep being creative, man. Mm. Definitely keep being creative. Um, So in terms of like collaborations, partnerships, events and stuff. So what would you say your favorite collaboration has been to date?
1: um we have done a couple of really awesome collaborations um particularly with our discussion club so um our discussion club facilitator georgia she's actually out in india doing some um like charity project work out there at the moment but she was running our discussion clubs and she got some of the best collabs we had um uh shush the women's sex toy company we've done a couple of events with them that were awesome
0: is they've got a shop in like Hoxton Square or something like that, I right? I think so, Where? yeah, they mm-hmm. do.
1: And, oh, that was awesome. So we had people, you know, they were talking about queer, inclusive sex education. Um, we also did a partnership with the Grief Network, which was really powerful. Um, that was really beautiful um, to, to run with um, Grief Week. Um, oh, gosh, there's been so... Honestly, there have been so many. It's been really exciting seeing how pulled together all these different kind of events and different people from all different walks of life. It's been really lovely.
0: Okay, like, thinking about grief. I've been speaking about that a lot this year because I've lost all of my grandparents. I I had by before I was 30 so maybe like 27, 28. And that was very hard for me because that was all in my 20s, which I think nobody's equipped to deal with. And Mm. I was a nanny and granddad's girl by far. And there's something in there being I would love to see I would love to see a situation where there are support mechanisms layered laid in specifically for queer people. And especially if you have like funky family dynamics where you may not have people to lean toward. Luckily mm-hmm. that wasn't my story, but I can imagine, you know, people are grieving by themselves um, and without the right support mechanism that, that you're supposed to be entitled to. I think this is why you're supposed to have friends and family and neighbors and stuff as part of the human experience. Um, yeah, I kind of gone off piece with of that, but that has definitely it just triggered that thought, and it's just been yeah. such a compelling.
1: Um... I, I also think the other thing with with that kind of queer experience around grief is that for a lot of people, there's a certain regret because a lot of people didn't necessarily come out to people before they mm. passed. So there's that level of I've you know sp- speaking on that, <laughs> there were a lot of people that were like, you know, my biggest regret was that I didn't, you know, I I don't. I, didn't, I wasn't true to myself, to that person before I lost them, and I wish I had been, and I wish I'd kind of you know, had that experience with them and shown them my true self, and now I can't, and that's something that they have to live with. So, yeah, I think there are a lot of really specific things around queerness and grief that we don't really talk about or have the opportunity to talk about. Mm. So, yeah, that was a really powerful event. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you think
0: about, like, maybe a project or a body of work that you worked on, like, what's been your personal favourite
1: my personal honestly my personal triumph is these um events that I've been doing with Victoria my colleague um so we run these queer comedy events and they are currently monthly and I really want to extend it out to doing comedy and cabaret as well um just because it's just it's representation and it's visibility and having an entirely queer led event which is queer women it's non-binary people it's trans people do you know what I mean it's 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 really powerful. And just seeing that we can actually sell out, you know, a 65-plus capacity venue at a really beautiful members club, Kindred, in um, Hammersmith, uh, you know, by ourselves. We don't need, you know, anything else. It, it's been really powerful. And, it, you know, it's, it's been a long long time coming. It started out in a basement somewhere, as all these things do. But mm. um, I'm really proud of that.
0: I love the idea of queer comedy because... I feel like part of the essence of why this podcast even gave I gave birth to this podcast was I just feel like sometimes the narrative that's pushed on the LGBT plus community and people of colour at large, I just think it's a load of shit. I generally do. I think there is far more to our experiences than we're giving credit for. And I think that we're actually two very hidden communities in some respects. Yes, we've got visibility, but visibility is it's almost like it's been I guess developed in such a way and branded in such a way so for example I think of like heaven I think of the flag I think of pride I'm like you know we are far more than that mm-hmm. I'm like that is very surface level yeah. for me um I have fully lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. that no, one, I that completely one. agree with you, though. Well, what? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll open it up for you to respond because my train of thought just...
1: Well, no, I completely agree with you, and that's why it's really nice to have this kind of event where... Well, first of all, I think that a lot of queer stuff...
0: I'm back in gone. the room. I got yeah. it, I got it. That was it. Right, so... <laughs> so for me, yeah, I feel like it's a lot of demon and gloom and narratives, cultivated narratives that are forced upon us. And I'm like, I don't believe that to be... I don't, I'm not saying that it's a lie, but that's not the full story. That's not the full truth. And I wanted to use this space to be able to bring light to all... Like, like for example, what you're doing and all the other incredible people that have come through to bring light and to flesh this story out in a way that is bold and unapologetic in saying, I challenge that narrative and just to bring it back to the queer comedy like, like i said it can be very doom and glue so queer people laughing and having fun is everything to me it, I have the same energy for it as when i see young black boys and young black men laughing and having fun and when i see them in their music videos dancing like it just i love seeing that happiness in groups that i told that they're not happy mm-hmm. you know or our yeah. stories are sad we so. don't
1: get to celebrate joy that's the thing. So, oh, much, yes. yeah, so much of the stuff that's for queer people, and I, as you said, there are parallels there too, is, is that kind of idea that it's always centred around trauma. How many mm. queer films, TV programmes, or films and TV programmes where the only queer storyline is trauma, It's doom mm. and gloom, it's like... And, and don't get me wrong, I know that that stuff exists and it's important that we talk about it, but there's so much more to mm-hmm. being queer. And being, being queer can be joyous, it can be joyful. And let us celebrate our joy. Yes, let, <laughs> like, let us be happy let's all get in a room and laugh and it's yeah I love it it's so fun
0: that 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 really warms my heart and it's there's something in that and I'm not I can feel it stirring in me and I don't think it the thought has landed or the, the thought or the idea or the concept has landed but there is something in this queer joy
1: well I think so for me it comes down to from my personal experience is that a lot of the difficulty that I had coming out to family for instance was that the only representation they've seen of queerness is is sadness and trauma and being lonely and being, you know, bullied or being, you know, whatever it is. So they're like, this is going to be hard for you. If we had queer joy being represented, a lot of these, like, parents who find it difficult to have queer kids because they're worried about what that means for their child, I mean, be able to be able to go, you know, I actually, I would, I know being queer isn't a choice, but I would choose it anyway because I love the queer community. I love what we're capable of, and I love what we, what we do and... Mm. I, as I said, I just think the world is so open to us and there's so much joy to be found there and we need to be shouting about that and be like, actually, this is a really great community to be, community to be a part of. Your life doesn't have to be difficult yeah. all the time just mm-hmm. because you're queer. Life's always difficult sometimes and there's a lot of difficulties in being queer, but there's a lot of joy too. And yeah. shout about that.
0: Mm. And I, that, that kind of leads me toward a different, kind of like a different school of thought, but it's around... Make sure you nourish your own personal personality and character and sense of identity and don't just get lost in being queer, mm-hmm. the concept of being queer or that that, that title. Yeah. Because I think it's so broad, but joy comes from very personal experiences and moments and that, that humanistic interaction, mm-hmm. right? And if we can spend more time doing this, interacting, being like you being Jess and me being Meg, yeah, we're queer, cool get it but then let's get into the human part of it Mm -hmm. and I want to see more of that Mm -hmm. come to life so I think we've done the big banner stuff the helping the world to conceptualize okay that not everybody men and women are not the only people that fancy each other and that want to get married and have kids together but can we make this personal and perhaps this could be that people didn't have the privilege before to present proudly Mm -hmm right perhaps that that could be a part of it but as a generation as a generation my gen z's and my millennials i urge you to rise up mm-hmm. um and and lead with yourself do you get what i'm saying lead with yourself be who you want to be and don't be dictated don't even don't even let the lgbt plus community dictate to you who you should be so i was talking to a friend about mass um, the mass-presenting experience when it comes to clothes. And I'm not talking about all mass-presenting people. I'm talking about my experience, guys, before anyone thinks, don't speak to me. <laughs> and, um, and what I observed was... It's almost like... You see, you've got this category of ma- um, masculine, feminine, and then STEM. Mm-hmm. And people getting onto STEMs. like, And I'm like, wait, hold on a minute. Why? Why, why why can't someone be mass today and fem tomorrow or demonstrating a fine balance at one time? Why? Why is it that if if there's a mass-presenting person, why can't they be in a relationship with another mass-presenting person? Why is it that if they wanted to run with some skinny jeans and their hat flipped backwards doing what they're doing and they want to rock some batty rider shorts and a little crop top, why is that a thing and why are they judged? that so when I say don't let the community also dictate to you I'm talking about that you
1: know
0: you know, that's a a big big thief of joy
1: yeah there's no point shaking off the kind of confines of the cishet world and the societal expectations that you get from that only to find new ones Mm. within your community you know for me the overarching kind of thing that I hold on to about being queer is it means screw anyone else's expectations or anyone else's kind of ideas of who I should be I'm going to live life exactly the way I want to and that's that <laughs> that's
0: that period <laughs> period yeah, yeah, that's what I love about the, the term non-binary I don't I even like Ah, oh, people people know already that my pronoun preferably just call me Meg just refer Meg's gone here Meg's here this is Meg well, just refer to me as my name mm-hmm. right but in saying that I just feel like Sorry guys. My, I have to say, some of the ideas I have are so big today that I can't even get them into words. <laughs> I don't even have the language. But ultimately, what I'm saying is, is that just be yourself. Be yourself and don't let anyone dictate to you. And the reason why I connect with the whole non-binary and queer titles is that there are no rules. Mm-hmm. There's no rules to being queer. There's no rules to being non-binary. Like, you can do what you want. And I love that for us, but I also would love... And maybe people do, I don't know. But I would love that that freedom and liberation to be extended to all of our community. So there's not expectations and pressures put, put on trans people mm-hmm. or on people that identify as gay and lesbian, that that just freedom and liberation that queer people and non-binary people have got access to that all of us yeah. could. Mm.
1: Completely agree with you.
0: <laughs> i got a couple more questions for you, actually. But um, I just wanted to say midway, but just thank you for being you and for just showing up because like the conversation is so vibrant, so vibrant. I think we've hit topics that we've never covered before on the podcast, and I've had a couple of people WhatsApp me or DM me like, "Oh, mate, I would love to hear you talk about this," and I feel like they're gonna, their hearts are gonna be feeling really warm from this. So this one's for you guys.
1: Oh, thanks, Mike. That's lovely.
0: Um, I wanted to ask you like, what has your experience been in kind of the party scene? and the social scene? Because I I see them as two different things. Like, going to, um, for example, like a discussion club or a Mm -hmm. book club or whatever it might be, that's very different to the party scene. And I I don't want to bring the two together. I like them quite separate. So if I take it, what has been your overall experience of, like, the LGBT party scene?
1: I mean, I have, as I said, had a really lovely time Mm. because um, I just as I said, the the events that I've been going to have been such warm, inclusive spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that that hasn't been everyone's experience across the board. I think everyone I speak to seems to have a really different experience Mm -hmm. of what that means. Um, I think for me, it's been about finding the spaces that I feel really comfortable in and sticking with those. Um, Because I have, yeah, I think a lot of people have found either they've ended up in spaces that are very kind of male dominated uh, and that can be quite difficult or quite intimidating um and I, yeah I just think it's been very mixed as I said I'm lucky that my friend runs a really beautiful event so we have a real kind of family feel to that event you know that everyone's it's very warm very inclusive very friendly um but I think it's I think it's very easy to get lost in the kind of queer scene in London if you don't have someone to point you in the right direction if you come in fresh and new yeah. I think it can be easy to get lost in it
0: because sometimes that like, we don't, what I find is that we don't always have clubs, but we yeah, have event nights. Exactly, so yeah. unless you know about this particular thing and have it happening at this particular time, exactly. in this particular space, you could kind of miss out a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I've 100%. noticed. And that, the whole it, it feeling quite male-dominated, I feel like a lot of the party scene is catered towards gay men. Yeah. Well, gay white men, as a matter of yeah. fact. And I wonder, like, is there more of them than Anyone else because everything feels really catered toward them, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. But it's just maybe a bit more variety for other people. And my friends used to laugh because I had, growing in my early, my late teens, so I had quite a few um, queer male friends. I used to go out with them, and I was like, bro, if I see another man's nipple, I'm gonna scream. (laughs) Like I, I don't want to see this. I don't want to see naked chest and naked back flouncing around me. Like, can we have some boobs in here or something? You know, but. I've also found the scene to be very Eurocentric to some extent. So like on in Heaven, me and Malik were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. We had like one of, we had one night on Wednesday that was lit. Oh my God. Wednesdays at Heaven. You used to get bashment. You might get a bit of car, some hip. But like the vibes were sweet. But we've only had like a few kind of black or POC mm-hmm. events. Like I'm definitely seeing more. I cannot dispute dispute that but I would love to just see a little bit more and I would love to also see um, sober events yeah. I think that's a, I think that's really important to cater to that space as well because we all know I've got I've had a bit of a wild track record when it comes to me being in the dance like I love a rave and I love a festival but I would love to go to spaces where everybody is sober mm-hmm. um, for my own benefit because like after two Proseccos I could wake up in Belarus with no (laughs) passport. Legit, you know, so I sometimes want to go out without the pressure of having to drink or without the pressure of saying, oh, guys, I'm going to have a dry night tonight. I'd love everyone Mm -hmm. to be on that same level. So that's one thing. But do you know of any any dry events or is that even a thing?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point because it's something that we've talked a lot about, about having sort of dedicated sober spaces. Um, My wife... Doesn't drink for medical reasons. Two mm. of my closest friends don't drink, um, so it's something that within our friendship group is quite, kind of quite a topic of conversation. It's like finding yeah. these spaces. Um, I was actually booked in to do a, a sober rave in Shoreditch, which mm. didn't end up happening for COVID reasons. But uh, rise and shine. Um, I don't yeah. think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think it's queer specifically, but it's, it looks. i um, I'm booked in to do a camping event with them actually um, yeah. in a couple of weeks. Um, somewhere just outside of London and I'm really looking forward to it and it's like um, they do these kind of parties in the evening but then during the day it's like you know being out in the woods and wild swimming it sounds really lovely and wholesome but no it's definitely something that I think there's a real gap Mm. for and
0: I know in the glass house the um, bookshop that I spoke to that well the space that I spoke to with the bookshop that's a that's a sober space Mm -hmm. it's a completely sober space and Aisha and I had a very similar conversation about the importance to offer again it's just variety you know not everybody even if it could be for religious purposes Mm -hmm. can be around those kind of spaces you know so really
1: because the problem is what i found like i said i've got a few you know wife and friends who don't drink and their experience is often that you know whilst obviously everyone's you know it's nice to have a mix of of different Mm -hmm. things right but the trouble is if you're the only person not drinking you end up kind of babysitting everyone else right. <laughs> You're right, right, in right. bags, making sure everyone gets home okay and so it, you know it'd be nice to have a space where actually everyone can just go and enjoy each other's company and not be drinking as well you yeah
0: know? yeah. I was thinking imagine it must be an absolute nightmare being like one of the only sober people in the club because <laughs> I'm I was thinking about it very much like on a macro level that you might be the only sober person in your group or one mm-hmm. or few but actually this is the whole club and it must be so annoying yeah. that like people stagger. I'm just thinking about me on my worst Saturday night. And the sober person would be like, God damn. Oh God,
1: that, that, that's me every weekend because my wife has to get me home. Because, I, you know, I like to mm. have a drink. And she has to be like, right, we're getting in the taxi now. Make sure we get... Make sure get <laughs> so I really relate to that. Yeah, I know. Like, babe. A <laughs> <laughs> number of times that she had to like on the tube home and she's like, come on, we have to get off now. <laughs> let's walk you home
0: Hi, oh, shout out to your missus man i, know, I don't think picked her up already but pick <laughs> up yourself man um when it comes to the when it comes to london and i know guys there are people outside of the uk but i just don't travel around the uk i tend to get my passport and get going if i'm gonna leave london but from your experience what do you think the uk is doing correctly when it comes to LGBT matters in terms and I say this in terms of resources facilities spaces community events laws legislations and policies Mm -hmm. like what do you think that that the UK is getting right
1: um again difficult because my experience is quite limited in terms of London and and where I grew up but coming from an education background myself Mm -hmm. I would say that there is a really I mean it's slow (laughs) slow progress but there is a really good push within education systems Mm -hmm. to make sure that education is more inclusive and by that I don't just mean like having an you know a PSHE lesson on being queer once in a while I mean really pushing towards making sure that right from reception level there are books in the classroom that show different types of families Mm -hmm. you know different types of family backgrounds um, talking about just having queer characters in storybooks and things like that so that it's kind of normalized from a really young age. Mm. Um that's been a really I, I've no I said having been a teacher I've noticed that I think what we're lacking is the um sort of more positive sex education that's more inclusive and is more um kind of thrown open. I think that's the next real big push that needs to happen in schools mm-hmm. because sex education is still very cishet. and it's e- e- actually even for um heterosexual women it's really not very inclusive it's very biological and scientific and I think yeah. having that's what we did. we actually did another collab with um someone called Demi who is a uh, sex educator by by that's her um her job and uh mm-hmm. they came in and did this whole sex education lesson that kind of like this sex ed that we never got as queer people as queer mm-hmm. folks so that's for me would be the next big drive but no education is getting slowly better I found
0: out not too long ago that it was it was maybe I think around March time that sex ed was banned in schools up until 2003 and I had left school in 2004 and just knowing that fact made everything made sense because I was like I didn't actually know how to have sex with a woman that like I didn't know how to do jack shit at like 17 years old and I had my first girlfriend at 15 mm-hmm. so At that time, at that time, guys, it was illegal, like, it was illegal for sexual education to be taught in school at a time when I actually had a girlfriend. Madness. Mm -hmm. I'm only just, like, piecing this together now. And I'm like, I would love for our sexual needs and requirements to be prioritized just as, like, cishet people. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not even too sure what that Imagine, could you imagine like a queer sex education um, class on like two female bodied people? I'm like, I wonder, I can't even now imagine what that could look like. I can imagine it would be incredible if you had some experts in that space really, mm-hmm. I guess, just making it chill. Like, don't do too much. Mm-hmm. Don't do be too cringy or do too much. Just make it chill. But mm-hmm. that could be a vibe. Like, sorry guys, in my mind, I'm just kind of trying to imagine what queer sex ed could look like. Imagine that's how conditioned we've been
1: to the point that I can't even imagine it. Well, I didn't. Part of the reason why I didn't realise I was queer growing up was because I never, you know, I had boyfriends and stuff and I I never enjoyed sex, but because I wasn't taught at school that sex was also supposed to be for me, I was always taught that sex was functional and it was really... For boys to get off right that was what right. we were kind of taught in school so the fact that i didn't enjoy sex well none of my friends really enjoyed sex so it wasn't really mm. a red flag for me it was only when i started having sex with women that i was like oh, okay so actually i do enjoy sex just a different kind of sex with you know different kinds of people and that was eye-opening for me mm. because we just we're not taught that sex is for us too and that we should be enjoying it too and it, that we matter in that context yeah. as well yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just something as simple as that would have such a huge impact on kind of sexual liberation for people with vulvas because they would suddenly be be able to set boundaries and set needs and expectations in a way that currently you know our generation often finds really challenging
0: mm. mm-hmm. man ain't that some real shit like and i got, I got a question for you you can tell me just to piss off right <laughs> but at, at what point did you in yourself say to yourself i can't sleep with men because this really isn't i'm not i'm not being true to myself at this point like at what at what point did you make that decision? And once you made that decision, was it a transition away from guys, or did you just say, "Nah, from here on out, I'm dealing with women only"?
1: Um, again, I can only speak from my experience, and I'm yeah. not a doctor or a scientist. But interestingly, for me, so I was actually, and I, I find find this a little bit hard to talk about because I don't want to uh, dismiss the experience that I had with this guy. I was with mm-hmm. a guy, we were in a very settled relationship, we lived together, I was probably 25, 26, we'd been together for a couple of years, we were talking about getting married, et cetera, et cetera. And I was happy, like we were best friends, he was good to me, we had a lovely, we had a lovely relationship, right? Um, there was nothing fundamentally wrong with that, except for the fact that there wasn't much of a physicality there. But again, that wasn't a red flag, because that seemed like, well, that's normal, like people mm-hmm. just don't really have sex after mm-hmm. a certain point anyway, and that's fine. Um, and it was only when I came off my birth control pill, because we were talking about having kids. So I came off my birth control pill, and within a couple of months, it was like my body got overcome with hormones, and suddenly I fell in love with a girl at my work, and that was the end. like literally that was wow. the beginning of the end for that relationship. Because I suddenly realised, oh my gosh, I'm I'm like I'm fully quit. Like I'm I'm a lesbian. I can't you know this this is why I'm not enjoying this physical relationship is because actually it's not true to me and. And, like, I don't, I don't know if it was because it was coming off the birth control, but birth control pill, but it did feel like my libido had been suppressed to a point where I was quite happy with this existence with this person that I loved and cared about and cared yeah. about me and just not having sex. And that kind of felt OK. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it was like I was a teenager again. I was like, OK, this actually isn't my life. Um, yeah. Again, not a doctor can't speak but that's that was my experience yes. that was the trigger moment for me
0: and like did you have that conversation with your, with your partner at the time say this is what the reality of it is or did you feel it was safer to kind of sugarcoat it for the well-being of that person
1: it was difficult it was a bit of both to be honest mm. I kind of expressed the fact that you know I might have desires for women as well and would he be willing to incorporate that in our relationship etc etc and it kind of started off slow because the idea of me leaving him and living life as a lesbian was so impossible at that point because Mm. that just wasn't my roadmap you know yeah um so it was a slow burner um in the end I did have to leave because it just became too you know it just became too much um and I didn't really confront him and tell him that that was the whole reason why which I don't know if that was the right thing to do or not but at the time it felt kinder um I don't know if that was the right thing or not but I was scared and lost and Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was quite a scary time but in hindsight I probably should have sat down with him and had that conversation but how do you know in that moment you know it was terrifying I was giving up my entire life to I literally had to just move out. I had no home to go to, no nothing. I just had to move out in my car because I just had to go and it was terrifying. <laughs> to live this whole new life that I'd never even known about or considered and um, yeah.
0: And then when once you had that first entry point to kind of I guess being with woman and being able to so at this point in my mind, so that relationship's ended. You're now scared but free. Mhm. What next? What came after that? Uh,
1: so I moved back in with... I mean, I had had relationships... Well, it I a city I came out and kind of went back in. I'd had relationships with women in my teens right. and had always just been told, oh, you're just being a wild child. You know, you're, you're just doing it for boys' attention. And so it was that kind of like, well, OK, you believe that when you're 17, 16, you believe that. If people tell you, oh, you're just doing it for attention. You're being an attention seeker. You kind of believe it. So it, I'd had experiences with women, but had always dismissed them as just being wild you know Mm. um I had never realized that actually that was my path um so it was it was really liberating to realize to look back on those experiences and realize actually that's who I am and I've been suppressing this for this long and actually now I'm going to go and do it so I moved back in with my mum for a while which was hard because she found it difficult because she just wasn't expecting it didn't Mm. see it coming found it quite hard to get her head around she's great now Mm. absolutely she walked me down the aisle a couple of months ago so she's brand new ally Mm. but um at the time found it quite hard and it was really difficult like I started kind of trying to find queer communities again that's why I say it was difficult living in a smaller town because the community Mm. that I found was quite limited and I kind of threw myself into it but you know there's just nothing I didn't have much in common with that kind of group and Mm. it was really hard it was a really difficult kind of time really until I moved to London it was a really difficult kind of shaky time but um I mean, yeah. thank you for sharing yeah. that thank you for
0: sharing that because I I came out really young and just stayed there at this <laughs> point like I just I actually had a conversation with someone yesterday who asked me have, had I ever slept with a guy before and I was like I tried I was like it hurt so bad that I was like nah no, bro you're gonna have to get off me like this can't work mm. I'm like if I have to go through this to have sex looks like I'm not having sex mm. or at least the idea of sex with a man for the foreseeable future I just couldn't see that and after that experience there's no way I could feel horny about a guy after I I was like sex is crazy I, I, I don't like that but then maybe a ma- maximum of six months I actually sat with a girl and I was like mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where it's at right yeah. and I, I, I count my blessings that I was able to identify that earlier because there's there's a whole series of things that I didn't have to go through but I'm always very curious to understand when people have transitioned from different phases and different commitments in their life to occupy a space of authentic on authenticity and truth I'm always curious to understand okay so what was that like you know what was it like and how so kudos kudos. I, I just respect it so much and I hope it doesn't come with patronizing or condescending I just celebrate that
1: yeah no do you know how terrifying it is as a 26 27 year old to be with a woman for the first time since like coming out again and being like i'm brand new at this like you know you're expected to be mm. experienced and you know know what you're doing and it's like how do you admit it's like well actually apart from like a couple of things when i was 16 this is like basically my first time and right. i'm that's terrifying right yeah, yeah um yeah. so yeah i know
0: and i had to maybe next week guys. maybe next week i'm gonna plug some youtube um channels who's specifically provide education for women or female-bodied peoples um, around how to have sex with a woman or another female-bodied person because there's so much shit that... I realise I don't even know the biological makeup of a, of a vagina. Like, for real, for, like I couldn't tell you where the labia is, where the... I know where the clit is and I know where the hole is, but that's <laughs> about it. Everything else I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I've had to actually, in my adult years, go back on myself to relearn, which I actually felt really embarrassed about. Even though the world never knew what I was learning. I felt really embarrassed that, like, you're at this big age and there's shit that you don't know. And like there's techniques to this shit as well. Mm-hmm. Like, there's ways that you can do this to be able to give mind-blowing orgasms to people. There's ways of doing this. You haven't got to fumble around or feel awkward with your strap. I was watching a video this week, probably, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, of um kind of, like, strap techniques. And, this part, and the number one technique was where you strap around, like put your strap on and engage with it outside of sexual intimacy or when, when, um, by yourself as well, so you bond. I was like, I never knew that, and I'm like, that is such a valuable piece of information that again, like, I just didn't know. I've
1: never heard that, that's actually really interesting,
0: yeah. And, um, I was looking at all the different harnesses, well, the person. We were um, reviewing different harnesses and there was like the knickers, the Mm boxers. You've got like the crazy leather looking stuff with bare dangly bits and metal bits that looks hella BDSM. You've got shit with Velcro. Like I said, I didn't, I really didn't know there were so many things available and it just speaks to the lack of education. Mm -hmm. So next week, guys, I'm going to come, I'm going to plug a few um, channels that I enjoy anyway. There's probably lots, lots more. But the ones that I know and enjoy that probably could be quite helpful because going back to what you said about being 26, 27 and feeling like a rookie in that space, that's real life shit. And as minorities, there's not, it's not like you can go up to your mum be like, oh, by the way, mum, I'm having this trouble. Um, do you
1: know anything about looking
0: badge <laughs> by any chance?
1: <time? laughs> I'm just imagining my mum's face if I'd asked that question. <laughs>
0: my my mum would just blink blink
1: at me she'd be like
0: no sweet pea I don't (laughs) um yeah but before we before we wrap up um I just want to make sure I've got through all of my questions that I had laid out because I was very intentional about planning to make sure that was fully prepared um but I guess for queer culture club what's next what should be what should the people be looking out for
1: yeah, good one. Um so, it, and it's been really interesting. So we've been trying to transition now from because we've been we were almost exclusively online and then we were kind of doing a mix of things. So it's been, you know, keeping up with COVID regulations has been tough. So now we're kind of tra- trying to transition back into the real world as much as possible but also keep online spaces because we've got people now following from, you know, abroad or mm. you know, not in London. So trying to keep that access open as well. Um we're looking at potentially charity status. We're looking at different kind of business structures that we can mm-hmm. um go down in order to get funding and things like that um really the 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 dream would be a physical space where we could bring all these things together and um you know give people space to hone their talents and their skills and teach their classes and whatever it is that they they love and they have passion for that they could go and you know get paid to go and lead those those classes and in a physical space that's the dream but who knows
0: (laughs) yeah and for anyone who might be interested they're hearing this conversation they're saying okay cultural club sounds like a bit of me i'm just i'm not sure if it's for me how would someone be able to kind of identify whether this space is for them or whether they'd be welcome uh
1: i would say that we, we we welcome anyone who is welcoming of others that's that's really our whole thing it's if you are you know if you are conscious of the space that you're taking and you're going to be kind to others and inclusive of others then this is a space
0: for you mm-hmm. well folks i think that blows the lid wide open like anyone is welcome as long as you're good vibes v- <laughs> If you're bad vibes you need to sage up before you think of coming that's all Pretty i'm much. saying <laughs> no thank you thank you so much for coming through and i i guess before we even close that like, do you have any questions or anything that you particularly wanted to talk about
1: Oh, gosh. No, I mean, we've covered so, we have covered so much. I just actually wanted to say that I've had a really good time. I was really nervous about coming on here, but I've had a really good time. And thank you so much for making me feel so comfortable and, you know, asking all the questions that you did because I've had a really, really real blast.
0: Yay! Yay! Yay. Guys, it's another win. <laughs> it's another win. And, you know, the feedback, when, when I set this up, right, it was all about the listeners, It was 100% about listeners. I wanted to do something that would be meaningful, fun, informative, chill. You feel like you're flexing and chilling with your brethren and whatnot, aka your friends if you're not Jamaican or Caribbean. (laughs) Like, I wanted to create that. But it's even become about you guys that come through because we have such beautiful moments, beautiful discussions. And I'm glad that you felt comfortable because true to what I'm saying, this is the people's platform. You know, this is a podcast that anyone, could, if you've got something constructive to say or you're doing something cool um, and it would resonate with, you know, the masses, then this is just a space for everyone. You know, So thank you so, so much. Do you want to plug your socials? Uh, yes.
1: Yeah. So we are Queer Culture Club on Instagram, which is where we are the most um, most present, really, or QCC on Twitter. Although, as I said, I've been trying to stay off Twitter a bit lately because it's been a bit exhausting. But yeah, those are the two places that you can find us. Perfect, 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 guys. You
0: know where to find me. Make talks online. I tried to do a full but my voice did not go up there. <laughs> Make, t- <laughs> Make talks online on Instagram. I am not on Twitter, um, but yeah. What one thing I actually would like to say to you guys is, um, a while ago I said to you guys we're nearly at our first five hundred streams. Guys, we we came and went past that long time. And I just, again, as I normally do, I like to express my gratitude because this was just simply an idea. And you as listeners, you um, man as guests, and when I say you man, this is a non-binary term. Anyone can be you man, yeah? Like... You, man, make this happen. Like, I just come chill, ask a couple of questions, but it's your stories and your truths that make this happen. So respect and manners each and every freaking time, and I'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, yeah.